Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hi, and welcome once again to History Dweebs. I'm Tim. Thank you for joining us today. And I have with me, as always, the blue hair beauty, Brandy. How are you today, Brandy? I'm well, thank you. And as always, the distinguished Colonel Charles Beauregard Hawk Walters III, affectionately known as the Southern Gentleman. How are you today, Colonel? I'm colder than hell, Timmy. Is, are you cold? Now. You were cold the last time we talked. Well, it's cold as it's like four degrees out. What, where the hell is the global warming? That's minus what I want to know. Minus four degrees. It's outside. minus four degrees. We don't even have four degrees. We don't. <laughs> we we owe somebody four degrees. <laughs> we're in debt. Yeah. We're, we're in dead. the hole. Yeah. We're in the hole. Okay. Yeah. It is very cold out. Okay. So today's topic um, is Tokyo Rose. Actually, we're going to talk about. Um, propagandist in general. Um, we're going to talk about um, propagandists during the Second World War, but the main focus will be on Tokyo Rose, and we'll talk about, um, uh, tell you a little bit about her story. But before we start that, I just want to check to see if my colleagues here have any shout outs that they want to um, uh, give. Uh, Colonel, do you have a shout-out? You usually do. I, I don't have a shout-out. I do have a new sponsor this week. Um, my friend, uh, Jimmy Wicks. Uh, now, everybody that went to high school with him, that we know him as Spider. Spider, but... Uh, oh, I know that guy! You know Spider. I do! Mm-hmm. Okay. Spider so, Wicks. Anyway, Spider was listening to the show, and he thought, you know what? I, 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 I'm a, I'm a sponsor. And he called me up. This is the first time I ever got a call. And Spider owns the uh, he owns the Little Critters Bovine Fertility Clinic up in Seaman, Ohio. I didn't realize there was a fertility clinic yeah. for well critters. I did not either. And in talking to Spider, now apparently, you know, you got a bunch, you got your bunch of bulls, you got your bunch of cows, and you think you're going to have some calves, right? But Normally. just like in the real world, sometimes you got an ugly cow. Ugly cow, nobody... That was Bessie's w- problem. Yeah. From Gordon. I mean, exactly. She's an yeah. ugly cow. She's ugly. The bulls don't want to mess with her. She got the saggy teats. Nobody, you know, it's like, no, no, let her go. What are you going to do? You take her over, the little critters, they will fix her right up. She'd <laughs> she be popping out a calf 
like three weeks later. Now, do they three weeks? Is that a matchmaking service, or do they actually perform the it's a fertility uh, clinic? It's a fertility clinic. Yeah, that's what I mean. So there's yeah. no uh, so Betsy is still kind of left out in the cold. No, Spidey gave him a big turkey baster. Just Brandy, do you have any shout outs today? I have a very special shout out today. Uh, the world actually lost a, a very special lady to me, my great aunt Nita. Aww. Oh, we're sorry to hear that. Yes, thank you. But but my shout out goes to Sweet D, my grandmother, who is currently attending her sister's funeral in a Walmart sweater and a pair of sweatpants. As as I would picture Sweet D. As you would picture Sweet D, I hope when I'm 86, I can just say, screw you guys, and go anywhere I want in a pair of sweatpants. Well, I think that's the beauty of being 86 is you just say, screw you guys. Well, we're sorry about your aunt, but uh, hello, Sweet D. and um, um, Sweet D doesn't listen. I know she's not going to listen, but if some, maybe someone will tell her. (laughs) Maybe. Maybe. What gets around? She might hit you. Well. She's... Got a crabby. So, shout, shout out to my only and favorite grandmother, Sweetie. And we're well, very sorry about your aunt. We are. Thank she, you. I, are. I'm sure she was a fine woman. She's a neat lady. She had a pet squirrel. Did she? Yeah, like a real one. They kept inside. Did she feed it peanuts? Yes. Stuff? Yes. They Did found it. Rocky? They found it as a baby. I don't remember his name, but they found it as a baby. It was hurt. Was it nibbles? And they nurtured it back to health. He had his own big cage in their room, in their house with a big hunk of tree, and he was as happy as he could be. So they brought a hunk of tree into the house. They did bring a hunk of tree in the house. Okay, so, uh, and I have a shout-out, um, a couple of shout-outs. First to uh, Thad in uh, Cincinnati, actually in Claremont County. He lives in New Richmond. Thad. Thad. Yeah, he's a. Um, he works with the uh, Roller Girls. Thad. I know you're. you're Thad a big, can hook. You're a good. Hook us up with the Roller Girls. Well, I don't know if he could hook us up with them, but I know you're a big fan of the Roller I'm Girls. I'm a big fan of the Roller Girls. Yes, and also to a special listener named Noah, he, who listens to every podcast, even though he's only like two, three, three. Okay. Three. I'm sorry, Noah. Okay, so... No, a handsome little guy. Too. He is a handsome little fellow. All he needs is a tracksuit. He needs a tracksuit. Noah, Noah is... Noah, I, I like to call Noah my little... Uh, my little Dago. <laughs> he, uh, okay. Look at him. He looked like a little tiny baby version of John Gotti. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's my child. Like, he does not look like John Gotti. He's like, like gold chains and stuff. Oh, like necklaces. <laughs> He got that. He got the pen panned over here. He, yeah. I mean, he, okay. He got it going on. All right. Well. Okay, Noah. Um, thank you for listening, Noah. And now we'll get on to the show. Um, we're the topic of today's podcast again is Tokyo Rose. Although we're going to talk in general about um, some of the other propagandists in World War II and the propagandists. Basically, they were. Um, broadcasters who worked for the German and Japanese government and broadcasting propaganda back to the United States in, a, in an effort to lower the morale of the U.S. citizens or, or citizens of the Allied um, nations and the soldiers. So we're going to start, though, uh, the most famous being probably Tokyo Rose, but we're going to start with Axis Sally. And, Brandy, you want to tell us a little bit about Axis Sally? 
Access Sally was born Mildred Elizabeth Sisk uh, in Portland, Maine. And she actually changed her name to Gillers in 1911. Um, when she was 16, let's see, she moved into Ohio, and she enrolled at Ohio Wesleyan University in 1918. Um, she went to study dramatic arts, but she left before she graduated, as most of us did. We took some time. Uh, she then went to New York's New York City and lived in Greenwich Village. The Big Apple. The Big Apple. She took a bite out of it. Yes. Went to Greenwich Village. And worked at some low, low-skilled jobs to finance her drama lessons, as they all do. She was going to be an actress. Of course, of course, she was. Low-skilled. I, mm-hmm. I'm not saying she was a hooker. No, <laughs> we don't know. That. I read low-skilled as a hooker. I, I'm I mean, not saying she was a hooker. When you want to be an actor, I know I'm some saying that. low-skilled jobs. I know some very highly-skilled hookers, so I would not. Necessarily I have concerns <laughs> about that. I'm not even saying she was a go-go dancer. Okay, but anyway, she goes. She moved to New York. She wanted to pursue a career in acting. She did. She toured. She toured with some stock companies, and she appeared in vaudeville. But she really didn't get her theatrical career off the ground. Uh, She left for France the first time uh, in 1929, and she she went over and she was an artist model in Paris, Uh, and she came back. And then in 1933, she left the U.S. again. Um, and well, she found is, work. She's moving all over the place. Uh, she is. She's, she's everywhere. Like you, Timmy. She's just jumping all over. She left the U.S. again in 1929 and kind of went around doing some odd jobs until finally in 1934 she moved to Dresden, Germany to study music. Uh, she was later employed there as a teacher of English at the Berlitz School of Languages in Berlin. Yeah, Berlitz has been around a while. They yes. still exist? Yeah. Yeah. So in 1940, she obtained work as an announcer with the, they call it the RRG, and it's the Reichs Rundfunk Gelschaft. Yeah, it's, Whatever. The, it's the... It's the German state radio. Yeah, German state radio, the Nazi state radio. Sure. Um, so she, she, got a, she got a job there. She really liked it. She was very happy. Um, and in, but in 1941, the State Department... U.S. State Department started advising that American nationals needed to return home. Um, she actually chose to stay in Germany because her fiancé, Paul Carlson, was a naturalized German citizen and said he would never marry her if she returned to the United States. So she stayed in Germany. Well, I've seen her picture. I wouldn't have married her either. She stayed well, for love. She stayed for love. That's an honorable thing. Unfortunately, shortly after that, he was sent to the Eastern Front and died. So she kind of got screwed on that deal. Mm, Made a bad choice. She did make a bad choice. On December 7th, 1941. That's my birthday. Comments or concerns? You were, I know. Not 1941. I was born far after You were born on Pearl Harbor Day. Um, She was, she was, Gillers was working in a, uh, in the studio when the Japanese attacked on, attacked Pearl Harbor. Uh, she she had a breakdown in front of her colleagues and and denounced oh. and denounced the Japanese, um, and just you know told them you know that the Japanese were shiftless and they you know they were going to bring them problems. Um, she later said that she knew such an outburst could send her to a concentration camp. So she had the she was faced with the prospects of joblessness or prison. And so she wrote an oath of allegiance to Germany and returned to work. Um, And initially her duties were limited to 
announcing records and participating on catch on chat shows. Uh, up until 1942, her broadcasts were pretty pretty apolitical. Um, then they got a new program director. His name was Max Otto Koschewitz. 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 Max. Max Otto Koschewitz? Koschewitz. That's what it says. Hmm. Um, Sounds like a Jewish name. I don't know what to tell you. He was the program director in the USA Zone, or the RRG, and he cast her in a new show called Home Sweet Home. And soon, amongst her GI listeners, she acquired several lovely nicknames, some of which were Berlin Bitch, Berlin Babe, Olga, and Sally. But the one that became the most common was Axis Sally. It probably came from the time she went to describe herself on the air, and she just said, I'm, I'm an Irish type, a real Sally. Um, there was another lady that was sort of doing the same thing, and she was using the name Sally. She was over in Italy. She was an Italian-American woman named Rita Zucca, um, and a lot of times the women were thought to be one and the same, so people got them confused. Um, she she did this show, Home Sweet Home. It was a regular propagated program that um, was to make the American forces in Europe feel homesick. A running theme of the broadcast were the infidelities of sh- soldiers' wives and sweethearts while, their, <clears throat> while the listeners, the GIs, were stationed in Europe and North America. Which actually was a big problem. I, I imagine it was. Yeah, they would. I mean, they would say things like, "While you're here fighting for your country, your wife is home sleeping with a draft dodger and that type of thing." And which, in many cases, was the truth. Well, you can't expect us to last, you know, forever. Well, you were supposed to be in the factories riveting stuff, and well, well nevertheless, but then it, we it went was, home later after we riveted. You can only rivet so much before it really starts to get to you. I'm just saying. Only so much riveting can be done. There was Guadalcanal. So much riveting. Men getting blown up, and you was at home whoring it up, hanging out at I the was, ice cream I was ship, building boats. downtown. We'll talk about that later, but we were building boats. <laughs> okay, building boats, yeah. Yeah, we were building boats. You had and the then, power tools. Why'd yeah, you have to go find go get a little something-something. So. Draft dodgers. Yeah. Draft dodgers, Shut, yeah. shut your dirty word hole. <laughs> I'm just saying. Shut your... Milkman is not an essential job. It's really not. I never liked them. Whatever. Okay, so anyway, um, she also did a program called Midge at the Mic, and it started... um, Midget at the Mic? Midge. Not Midget. Midge. Midge. Midge at... They could have put anybody there. Midge Midge at the Mic. Well, yeah, you would know. Yeah, no. Unless they couldn't reach the mic. You could just barely hear them. (laughs) <laughs> you had to really turn it up. Well, they could sit on a stool. Yeah, well, <laughs> some phone books. <laughs> so anyway, so she did Midge at the Mic. Okay. Uh, the broadcast from March to the late fall of 1943, in which she played American songs inter- interspersed with defeatist propaganda, <clears throat> anti-Semitic <clears throat> rhetoric, and attacks on FDR. Yeah, so I mean, with Sally, as we'll talk, we'll talk later about Tokyo Rose. But with Sally, they were she was legitimately saying these things. Yeah, I mean, she was. It was yes, and there were recordings. It wasn't. Yes. It wasn't yes. something no, she was, that was made up. She was, was getting it. Yeah. yeah, she was getting it. Now that's just how. See, I got a problem with this. Now you want to attack America? You want to do whatever? You know, say okay, your wife's. You know, knocking boots with the milkman who's draft dodging whatever. Knocking boots. 
But they was making fun. They, they made fun of a cripple man. FDR. He was a cripple. He had the polio. He didn't have the polio. He had the polio, and they're making fun of a cripple man. I, I don't what know. kind of animals are these people? I, she was a bitch. Um, the GI's letterbox and medical reports uh, was also one that she did in 1944. It was directed at the U.S. home audience. Um in which Gillers would use information on wounded and captured U.S. airmen to cause fear and worry for their families. Um, after D-Day, June 6, 1944, soldiers wounded and captured in France were also reported on. Gillers and Max worked for a time with Chartres and Paris for this purpose, visiting hospitals and interviewing POWs. In 1943, they toured POW camps in Germany, interviewing captured Americans and recording their messages for their families in the U.S. The interviews were then edited for broadcast as though the speakers were well-treated or sympathetic to the Nazi cause. Um, so this went on for, for a while, and she, um, yeah, she was kind of an asshole. But then all, everything kind of changed for her when Max died. Uh, in August of 1944, and her broadcast after that, they lost something. They became lackluster and repetitive, and she remained in Berlin until the end of the war, but her last broadcast was on May 6, 1945, just two days before the Germans surrender. So the Germans surrender, and her, her arrest came after the U.S. Attorney General dispatched Prosecutor Victor C. Warhide to Berlin to find and arrest her. He and the counterintelligence corps, the CIC, which... They're some scary bastards right there. The they, I would assume they are much like the CIA. Yeah, forerunner of the yeah. CIA. Mm-hmm. Um, so they had... Uh, he and his special, the special agent Hans Winston. Winston. Uh, they only had one solid lead. Um, was one of the guys that she visited at the prison camp. Well, she was looking for interviews, and when she introduced herself, she called herself Midge. Midge at the mic. Okay. Um, she was she was going around under an alias, and and they followed her around, and da da da. However, she was trying to sell some of her furniture at a secondhand shop, and that's where they got her. Um, she was indicted on September tenth, nineteen forty eight, and charged with ten counts of treason. Um, but only eight were proceeded with with at her trial which began on January 25th, 1949. Um, they just played her programs. Um, looks like, I, you know, they just played her They just played her programs to prove their case. They really didn't have to do a whole lot. Um, the defense argued that her broadcast stated unpopular opinions but did not ma- amount to treasonable conduct. It was also argued that she was under the hypnotic influence of Max, Ooh. yeah, Max what Otto. Max was a powerful guy. He was, and therefore not fully uh, responsible for her actions until after his death. The old hypnotist defense. Yeah. The, 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 I've been hypnotized. Yeah. I used that before. What do you use if she's an asshole after the guy dies? Well, it doesn't wear off. Well, evidently, it did. He can't just snap his fingers well, and bring her back. He's what dead now. Saying, but what they're saying is it did wear off. Like, she wasn't responsible for anything until after he died. So, on March 10th, 1949, she was convicted on one count of treason. Um, 
and she was sentenced to 10 to 30 years in prison and a $10,000 fine. Uh, let's see. She served her sentence in the Federal Reformatory for Women in Alderson, West Virginia. She became eligible for parole in 59 but did not apply until 61, and she was released on June 10, 1961. While she was in the pen, that was I, I was like a month. I was like one month old. Yeah, yeah, nice. But she probably got out to see you. She did. <laughs> While she was playing Orange Is the New Black, have uh, she converted to Roman Catholicism? Uh, she went to. She saw she, the ways. When she got out, yeah, so she converted. When she got out, she went to live at the Our Lady of Bethlehem Convent in Columbus. Uh, she taught German, French, and music at St. Joseph's Academy in Columbus. I've been to that convent. She completed, she, in 73, 1973, she returned to Ohio Wesleyan to complete her degree, and she died of colon cancer at Grant Medical Center in Columbus on June 25th, 1988. 1988? Well, she was 80. like 134 years she old? She was 80-odd years old. She lived a long life. She did, but I bet she didn't wear sweatpants <clears throat> all over Hell's Half Acre to go to funerals and whatnot. She you think Deed's got a badge on? Do I think Dee has a badge on? Has, is wearing a little... Is wearing a Walmart badge? Yeah. I don't... I hope not. But you know what? I'll kiss your ass if she ain't wearing house shoes. <laughs> or, uh, okay. Or her Snuggie. Yeah, okay. So, thank you, Brandy, for Access Sally. <laughs> You're welcome. And I'm almost scared to do this in this next one, but Chuck, they were also... There were also uh, male broadcasters broadcasting propaganda, and one by a fellow by the name of uh, Michael Joyce. You want to tell us about him? Well, I, now, if you're going to ask me when he was born, I can tell you when he died. I don't really care what Just he tell born. the story. Let's just get on to what he did. <laughs> now, he, he was a strange guy. Okay. He was American by birth, Irish by blood. He went over to Ireland. Now he was a Catholic. All right, but he decides to be would fight on the Protestant side, the Unionist side. All right, now you can say what you want about the Irish. All right, right. but the they drink, I like Irish, but go ahead. They drink, they act a fool. They you know they don't pay the bills on time. That's your everybody family. knows that. <laughs> uh, it's That's your family. Yeah, my family, my family too. This so. is my family, and you know, so you know they don't pay the bills on right. time. They drink. They, if they would stay so. But it's Sometimes they get typhoid and carry it around. Oh, they do all kinds of crazy stuff. That's bullshit. But the one thing they usually can count on is they're loyal. They're loyal. Yeah, right. This son bitch, every. You know what he was like? He was like, he was like the guy who had to ha- hate everything that was popular. Yeah. Bad mouth Santa Claus. Against the home team. Yeah, he didn't root for Rudolph the Red Nosed Reindeer. Right. I mean, he was just an asshole, is what he was. Trip the trip the uh, Easter Bunny. Yeah, I yeah. mean it was it was that kind of thing. He he'd be the one that run around tell little kids like at three you know four years old. They ain't no Santa Claus. Yeah, well, not a, not a nice guy. Yeah. No, so how, how did he get into the uh, propaganda business? Well, he 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 was a he was he lied and became a British citizen. Dick. Yeah. Yeah. So while he was over there, he, he joins this fascist group over there. Oh, so he's uh, a fascist, too. Oh, yeah. He, he joined Oswald Mosley's British uh, fascist party because, you know, you're going to be an asshole. You might as well go to whole Which had a dogs. pretty, I mean, they had a pretty strong membership. But, they did. Yeah. They did. And, and you know, there they was, you know, they were very, uh, 
They're a very anti-Semitic group. Well, now, most fascists and most yeah, Nazis are. And, and see, the colonel, the colonel can't tolerate anti-Semitism. Well, I'm glad to hear that. He, he just don't like it. Wow. You know, the, the Jews is a fine people. And you just don't like cat. You just don't like uh, Irish. I'm Irish myself. All right. You don't. You're self-hating. No, I'm just saying I recognize our own flaws. Okay. okay. And and the one thing you know we we all loyal and this this bastard he wasn't loyal to anybody. So you're all like terriers. Yeah. So he he you know starts doing and he takes now those four or five guys doing this propaganda show mm-hmm. and. The, they all was called Lord Ha Ha, Lord Ha Ha, Ha Ha, Ha Ha, Ha Ha, Hee Ha, Hee Ha. Yeah, there was Lord Hee Ha. No, was it Lord Ha Ha, Ha Ha, Lord Ha Ha, Hee Ha. Yeah, and you know he would he would come on. He'd be with his he 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 was Irish, so he can't do no you know British accent. But he tried his best, and it'd be like. Jiminy calling, Jiminy calling. I don't like that. Don't do that. That's anymore. the Colonel's British accent. Sort of like someone trying to fake a Southern accent. It just doesn't work. Uh, sometimes it's just it's stupid. Poorly, yeah. Mm-hmm. So he would, he would, he would get on there and just broadcast propaganda, just like everybody else. Um, and finally, you know, there were four or five guys who were Lord Ha Ha, and um, but he really became known as the. The most famous, and actually, he started giving his real name. I mean, that's the kind of balls this guy had. He just throw out his real name out there. I'm one. But he wasn't boys. broadcasting. I mean, he was wasn't broadcasting from Berlin, right? He was yeah, he bro- was broadcasting from Berlin. Oh, I thought he was. I thought I thought he was. No, he went back to England. Then he went back to Germany. Uh-huh. Then he started broadcasting from there. And uh, then the war, you know, he, he the war was over, and the British came and snatched his ass up. And said, you know what, we're gonna try you for treason. Now his lawyer said, you can't do that. Because he can't be he can't have committed treason because he lied to be a British citizen. So he's really an American. He didn't use the hypnotic uh, defense. No, he tried to use a scrambled citizenship defense. Yeah. You know, like I can't you, you know, can't commit treason if you're not a citizen. Yeah, it's like me committing treason against Zimbabwe. Right. You know, which I think Tuesday I may have, yeah. but if I were a citizen. Yeah. So, but he didn't work because nobody, and you know why it didn't work? Why? Nobody liked him. Nobody liked him. Yeah. His own defense attorney. He was like the New Orleans Axeman. His own defense attorney said, eh, he probably Jake did. Bird's attorney. Yeah, so he, uh, hmm. so they took him out to a tree and hung him. So like he right then? Found, he, he was found guilty of treason and he was hung. He was, uh, I don't know if he was hung but they hanged him. Uh, okay. Okay, he might have been hung. He might not have been hung. I can't say that for sure. He was hanged. I have yeah. not seen pictures of the corpse, but I know he was hanged. Okay. Okay, okay thank you for that enlightening uh, story about Lord Haha. So, so far we had um, Axis Sally in Germany. And, uh, and I believe, and now, this dates all the way back to the Confederate, you know, the Union War with the Confederates. When there was Polk Salad Annie, <laughs> she now, had she a radio. Was, she had a radio station in the uh, Civil War, have a, but she used to send out taunting telegraphs <laughs> to the other side. Polk Salad Annie—that's where that came from. Uh, I see. She was she well, but that. there were—I mean—almost in every conflict there are uh, propagandists, and in Vietnam there was Hanoi Hannah, 
Um, I believe uh, Korea had uh, a, a, a radio host. But most of these were, um, most of these names that we come up with, uh, haha. We didn't, we didn't come up with Lord that. Hee-ha. Lord Hee Lord Lord Hee Haw. Lord Ha Ha. Paxis Sally. They were names given yeah, he by... He used to get on there and he would be like, gloom, despair, and, and agony, agony on, on me. That is not true. <laughs> Here come the I promise. love that show. <laughs> okay. So back on, back on track. <clears throat> we, we do all of this to say that... Each war has its own form of propaganda. And in, like, uh, as I said, in Vietnam, when the U.S. was in the Vietnam conflict, there was Hanoi Hannah, there was somebody, there was, I, I think, one used in um, North Korea, and the United States does the same thing. In, well, in the Iraq War, we had Dick Cheney. So there's that. <laughs> there's yeah. that. But probably the most famous of all is the topic of our podcast, the focus of our podcast, and that is Tokyo Rose. I never heard of it. I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know how she's famous either. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Was she on TV? <laughs> she was a stripper, yeah, I believe. No, she wasn't. Tokyo was she Rose. Dick Clark's? Tokyo Rose became synonymous with uh, treason. And um, so I'm going to tell you the story of um, Iva Tagori, who mm-hmm. is... Mostly uh, become she became really identified as Tokyo Rose, but like with Axis Sally and Lord Ha Ha, um, she was um, there. Uh, Tokyo Rose was just the name given to her by the troops that listened to broadcast in the South Pacific during the Second World War, and there were at least twenty. Um, female uh, broadcasters who spoke English that did these broadcasts. But um, the one that is uh, most identified is 
Iva, and uh, but she never went by the name of Tokyo Rose. None of the broadcasters went by that name. That was just the name given to them by the GIs. But um, let me tell you a little bit about Iva. Tell me a little bit. Thank you. Sure. Iva was born on July 4th, 1916. Isn't that how ironic that is? She was born on July 4th, Independence Day, 1916, in Los Angeles, California. It's crazy. She was the daughter of Japanese immigrants. Her father had come to the United States in 1899 and her mother in 1913. And Iva was a typical American girl. She was a Girl Scout as a child. She was raised as a Methodist. Normal teenager, you know, wearing poodle skirts. Did they have poodle, poodle skirts back in those days? I didn't know they had Japanese Methodists. <laughs> well, she was That's crazy. That is crazy. But she excelled in school. You know what uh, throws me off? And What's that? Black Brits. Oh, the, the, it don't match. It throws it don't me match. off. Yeah. May I continue? Yes. Thank Go you. Ahead. Thank I'm you sorry. so much. So Iva was no, a normal teenager. But you know what here. I always thought, though, just if I could just <laughs> continue with that thought. I see these boxes, and the big boxes, and every time I see a person, now he might be six foot six and 280 pounds, but I see him, and I hear him talking with that funny voice, you know, because the Brits got kind of a effeminate tone to him. And I think, you know... Nobody, we have listeners in Great Britain. I know. It, it's kind of just a funny tone. And I think nobody that talks like that could whip my ass. But they can. But they can. They yeah, probably could. They yeah, probably yeah, could. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I think they definitely the could. The colonel's been in a lot of situations before where he thought, no, he can't whip my ass. Yeah. And he has. Yeah. So, Isn't that yeah. ironic? May I continue now? If you're heading somewhere with this, yes. <laughs> yes. Okay. Poor Iva. Iva was a normal teenager who excelled in school and enjoyed music and sock hops. Uh, after attending um, a high school in Los Angeles, she graduated um, from. She attended and graduated from the University of uh, California, UCLA, with a degree in. Soci- uh, I'm sorry, a degree in zoology. Her plan was to um, go to medical school. She spoke only English. And she, uh, other than coming from, you know, other than having Japanese parents, had no real connection with Japanese culture because they didn't uh, live in an area where there were a lot of other Japanese Americans. Um, She was getting ready. She was working in her parents' store, and she was getting ready to go to medical school in 1941 when her aunt got sick, her aunt in Tokyo. So the family asked her to go to Tokyo to help her aunt for a few months, and that's what she did. So and on July 5th, 1941, Iva uh, set sail for Japan, uh, where she was going to help her aunt and then come back and study medicine. She went to apply for a uh, passport with the U.S. consulate in she, or I'm sorry, with the U.S. State Department, and she was told that she didn't need one. Yeah, and no, 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 try to get around that today. There's never a slow boat to Japan. No, it's always, always to China. 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 Always to China. Yeah. The J- <laughs> Japan boats, they're fast. And, the well, it wasn't fast enough for her. I mean, the State Department <clears throat> told her that all she needed was an ID card, which she had, which did not turn out to be a case, which created, you know, made this situation worse. So, Iva goes to Japan. And she goes to Tokyo, and she helps out her aunt for a few months, and then it's time to come home. 
When she tries to make come home, she's told, hey, wait a minute, you need a passport. And she said, well, yeah, that's not what the State Department told me last time when I was in California. And they said, well, too bad, you need a passport. So she had to apply for a passport. And things were not very quick back in the day with the federal government. Because so, <laughs> they're quicker now. Yeah, a little bit quicker now. Anyway. So she was basically interned in Japan. Well, what happened was that she couldn't get a passport, and they were working on it. The State Department was working on her passport, but when that, um, uh, as they were processing it, um, the Japanese attacked Pearl Harbor on December 7, 1941, and she was stranded. She was SOL at that point because she didn't have her passport. She couldn't get back to the United States. And um, so she was out of luck. She was staying with her aunt. And um, so this Japanese government um, went to investigate her as a American spy. And uh, they told her that if... Um, she could either give up her U.S. citizenship, denounce her U.S. citizenship, and, or she'd be placed in an internment camp. Um, she said, basically, place me in an internment camp because I'm not giving up my U.S. citizenship. Which is ironic because had they sent her home, she would have been put in an internment, internment camp. camp. Yeah, exactly. And her <clears throat> actually, her parents were put in an internment camp, and her mother died in an internment camp in the United States. When, when asked why she would not give up her um, citizenship, uh, Tagura said that uh, a tiger does not change its stripes. I'm an American citizen, and I'm not going to change that. Um, so she um, was to be put in an internment camp, but then the Japanese had a change of heart and said, we're not going to feed you three times a day. We're not going to shelter you. We're just going to say you do, you're on your own, basically. So she was without a state. She was a statelet person. They were like the Nazis. They just yeah. So she. Um, Worski could really couldn't understand them. Well, yeah. it, had she been, had she had most of the most of the people in her situation, and there were thousands, most of them denounced a U.S. citizenship. And they got ration cards so they could get food and whatever necessities they needed during the war in Japan. She um, did not receive any ration cards because she refused to denounce her American citizenship. Is that when she became a burlesque dancer? No, no, she did not become or a geisha or anything else, no. How did she support herself? Well, that's a good question. She was staying with her aunt, and then... um, her aunt was getting harassed by the government. They were coming in, and um, they're still thinking that she's a spy. They're harassing them, uh, putting a lot of pressure, coming in and interrogating her, interrogating her aunt. You know the whole, you know the whole um, uh, neighborhood and everything were kind of, you know, questioning whether you know what her role there was, and so there was a lot of pressure. So she decided to leave her aunt's house, apartment, so her aunt could live in peace. And she got a job as a typist at a Japanese news agency and then eventually got a second job as a typist at Radio Tokyo. Tune in Tokyo. Yeah, so she worked as a typist. She couldn't speak Japanese either, so she was struggling with the language as well. Uh, I wonder what Japanese typewriters look like. Because don't I, they have like eight? No, she was an English. She was an English, oh, okay. an English typist. Yeah, it's a huge keyboard, it's a big ass thing. Yeah, she was a, she was typing in it's English. It's like a Volkswagen. 
So anyway, in um, she's working at Tokyo Radio as a typist. In 1943, they brought in um, a few Allied prisoners of war who were captured, and one of them uh, was a Australian Army officer named Major Charles Cousins, and he had a lot of um, experience in broadcasting before the war, but he was captured by the Japanese in Singapore. Cousins was tortured, and he was coerced into creating a radio broadcast. Um, so the Japanese government wanted him to produce a radio broadcast to, prop, uh, to broadcast their propaganda to, uh, um, to uh, targeted at American troops in the South Pacific. Now, he had befriended uh, Tagora, and she started to bring him and his uh, the other POWs there uh, that was forced to work at Tokyo Radio Tokyo, uh, food and medicine and anything that she could to comfort them. She would smuggle them in at risking her own life to do so. So, cousins. So she was a good guy. She was a good guy, and cousins told uh, my guy wasn't. Cousins told um, the to Radio Tokyo, the, the the government there, that he would work with them for the bro- develop the broadcast if that if he could use Tagora as the announcer. Uh, now she so refused. Something going on. No, no, cousins no, and, no, uh, no. There was no. I don't think there's no record that they had any kind of romantic relationship. There really. a record that they didn't. <laughs> no, but she ended up marrying a, a Portuguese guy. Let me let me continue. So after she refused to broad, she refused to broadcast uh, anti-American propaganda. She said she wouldn't do it, but finally, Major Cousin assured her that they would write, they would be writing a script, and they would not say anything uh, negative against the United States. That her role was basically to be just to play records and just be a personality uh, on the air. So finally, she uh, agreed to do it, and um, she took the name um, Orphan Anne which is Anne Schwartz for announcer, and hosted what was the show became known as Zero Hour. And basically she performed a role of a disc jockey. She just introduced records. Like Wolfman Jack. Like she was like Wolfman Jack. And, um, Only with an accent. Uh, well, she spoke pretty good English. And the funny thing about her accent is that one of the reasons why the cousins selected her have an accent. is because... He wanted her to um, the. He didn't want the Japanese government to select the announcer because they would get someone with a a seductive type of voice, and she had a more of a comic type of voice, comedian type of voice. So that would, and basically, what he wanted to do was to write a show that would make the Japanese think that they were propagating propaganda, and it would make, but. American soldiers could kind of see through it and see, oh, okay, this is a gag that we've got someone on the end. So he was, so he was afraid they was gonna get somebody on there to say like, "Hey, Joe, you listen, listen." Me long, love you long, long time. time. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Listen long, long time, yeah. Joe. That's what his fear was. And so then, and then they was all gonna switch sides. Yeah, yeah. Because they were exactly. all gonna fall in love with her. Yeah. What? So, <laughs> I don't know. but but no, the the, the, the you know the sedu- no, but that that is that what they had in mind was a seductor, yeah, type of deal. But 
Uh, Anne, Anne did not have that type of voice. She had a husky, more of a comedic voice, and that's why he... You she know, smoked a lot of cigarettes. And plus he trusted her. Uh, cousins trusted her, to, to, you know, because uh, he, you know, she had been so good to her. So anyway, um, so she started broadcasting, and um, like I said, she never was called Tokyo Rose. She never called herself Tokyo Rose. It was just the name of the GIs had given her, or not only her, but you know the other twenty or so women who were also um, English speaking, doing this for the for Japan. Now, what they said in the other broadcasts, what the other women have, may have said, may have been uh, far worse than what she said because she would refuse to say anything negative. She would say things like, hey, Joe, this is your number, this is your number one em- enemy, or um, things that were very like-hearted, but she would never, uh, you know, do the same thing. Hey, to Joe, you. you number one Chief Charlie. <laughs> she would never say things like, uh, like Brandy, or like you were saying. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> that like uh, uh, you were talking about, hey, you're your wife is home banging the milkman or she would that never do anything. Yeah, that she would mine. never do anything like that. So anyway... Lord Hino actually said, I am at your house banging your wife. Right. Well, was, Tagore would never do anything man. like that. Dastardly. She she, yeah. she never did anything like that. In fact... Um, she was celibate the whole time. The One of the things that... Um, one of the things that she did do, that they, they had uh, gotten word that the Japanese were going to t- attack this uh, particular air group on on one day, on one evening, and she broadcasts and she said that, uh, "Hey, listen to some mu- some music for you. You're going to be up late tonight because we're going to uh, J- Japan is going to bomb the 43rd Squadron." So this tipped them off that they were going to be attacked. So it saved American lives. Anyway, while she was there, she married a Portuguese well, citizen. Well, much of a propagandist, if you ask me. Well, she yeah, wasn't, good she wasn't she trying was to be a propagandist. Yeah, if I was a, that Cousins guy, I would give her a poor evaluation. Yeah. Well, anyway, no, Cousins was on her side. If you were Tojo, you if might If I were Tojo, I would be, yeah. be aggravated with the whole thing. Okay, let me move on because we, we're getting, this is getting long. But anyway, while she was in it, there, she married a gentleman named uh, Philippe D'Aquino. De, de he was Portuguese. And um, they let her get married? Yeah, they let her get married, and um, she married a Portuguese, but this, this is a kind of a sad part of it because they were never together after the war. But anyway, the war ended, um, and so after the war ended, there was a, a, a big effort by newspaper reporters to find Tokyo Rose, this mythical character that was created by the American soldiers in the Pacific. And um, what they were frustrated, the, the, so the reporters got frustrated because they couldn't find Tokyo Rose because she didn't exist. It was just a, a character, a fictional character. However, um, they did find uh, Tagora, and she agreed to do an interview. They offered her $2,000 to do an interview with uh, a newspaper talking about her, her role in... Um, the radio Tokyo Radio Tokyo, and she thought it would be great that she will tell them what she did and uh, you know uh, how she um, helped the uh, U.S. cause during the war with what she was doing. 
and helping the POWs, and, and she'll get money to go home with her husband so that they can have a sh- child in the U.S. So she admitted to being a Tokyo girl. She did. She agreed to say that she was... Uh, that she did broadcast. She never admitted it to be a Tokyo Rose, but she signed a statement to say that she did these broadcasts. Because, you know, if they would have had a lineup and you'd have had to pick them out. Yeah, it'd been difficult. So, picked them out. Um, so anyway, um, she never got the $2,000. The story was a hit job. Um, the, the story came out that the, the headline was Tokyo Rose admits to treason for $6 a month. Because that's what she got paid. So basically, it was a surprise attack on Tokyo Road. Yeah, it was. It was. It was. It was pretty disgusting. The um, the army then dis- um, conducted an investigation uh, on her, and after a year of investigating it, um, found that, that that there was no basis to any of it. That that, that she was basically doing these um, broadcasts. She was playing a role as a disc jockey. And there was no treason or anything like that. And in 1945, August 1945, New York Times reported that there is no Tokyo Rose. It was just a name that was strictly made up by um, the GIs. So this was kind of a whitewater investigation. Yeah, it was. A, yeah, there was nothing. There was nothing there. So, okay, cool. Inside so now, so now she's the war's over. She's been investigated. She's ready to come home, back to America, where she was from. She had grew up here. Okay, so what happens then, there was a radio announcer named Walter Winchell. Very powerful man. He was a very powerful man, and he had a radio show, and he had a news column, and he was a weasel. He was also a cross-dresser. Well, I'm not going to defend him in any way, shape, or form, but he was a muckraker. And he he, he had a he had a gossip column and a radio show and and he went on a witch hunt and he made a big deal about Tokyo Rose the traitor returning to the United States. At the time, it was 1948. Harry Truman was in a tough uh, political election. Remember the you know race with Dewey and Dewey wins and all that. It was a very close um, presidential election. Dewey didn't win, though. No, he didn't, but uh, it was a close election, and there was a... a, um, This is beginning of the Red Scare era where, um, you know, an Alger Hiss trial was going on, and so there was, you know, this whole hyper um, sensitivity toward anti-American activity, and so there was um, the... Justice Department decided that they were going to take another look at uh, uh, Tagura's case, and they end up indicting her for treason. Uh, eight, uh, I'm sorry, on eight counts of treason. And she went. Um, they flew her to federal court in San Francisco. Um, the jury went out uh, and come back three times with a, a hung jury. They couldn't um, reach a verdict. The um, judge in the trial. Um, was got very upset and told the jury, you go back and you make a decision because we've spent, uh, this is the most expensive trial in history. It was at the time, $500,000, which is like $4.5 million today. So this was like the OJ trial. Yeah, it was the OJ trial this time. Um, but the, 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 the foreman of the jury later said that you know, nobody wanted to convict her, um, but they decided to convict her on one of the lesser counts and um, they did. Um, she was um, convicted of one count of treason, 
the jury thought that, that she would get off with time served. However, the judge uh, sentenced her to 10 years in prison for treason and ten, a $10,000 fine, which well, is... Well, what was the lesser charge they found her yeah, <laughs> Exactly. He threw the book at her. Uh, and uh, the $10,000 fine, and that, uh, in today's dollars, that would be $130,000. So it's a lot of money. Um, so Tagura ended up going to prison, and she served a little over six years of her 10-year <coughs> sentence. She got off for good behavior. Um, and it later came out that two of the witnesses that testified it against it testified against her at trial had lied they were uh, Japanese American citizens who were in the same boat that she was and yet when they asked were asked to denounce their American citizenship they did so so they accepted the Japanese offer and uh, they wanted to come back to the United States so the State Department cut a deal with them that if they testified against uh, uh, Tagora that they would let them back in the U.S. and restore their U.S. citizenship. So um, that's what they did. And in 1974, they both came out and said that um, they had been coached two months prior to the trial on to what, uh, how to testify. So um, Tagura goes to prison six years. She finally pays off her $10,000 fine in 1972. Um, so she's been six years in prison, released on good behavior. At that point, she just tried to stay out of the spotlight. The sad part, one of the sad parts of this story is that at this point, she's a stateless person. She doesn't have U.S. citizenship. She lost her citizenship during uh, when she was found guilty for treason. She can't leave the, couldn't leave the tr- country. Her husband, who was a Portuguese, uh, a Portuguese national, was not um, given a visa to come to the country. So basically, she was never into. Uh, she was never with her husband, and they end up uh, having to, you know, divorcing. Um, she tried to stay out of the press, although uh, tabloids would follow her. Reporters were hiding her bushes on ice to get a glimpse of the notorious traitor. Um, finally, she settled and worked with her father's store in Chicago. Um, and as I said, she was a stateless person. She couldn't leave the U.S. Yes, she wasn't a U.S. citizen. Um, and uh, after these two guys, uh, I'm going to destroy their names here, the two key witnesses in 1973, Kenichi Oki and George Mitsuchi, came forward and recanted their testimony and stated that they were forced to lie by the government and was coached what to say. Um, the Japanese community got behind her. The American Japanese community shunned her um, when she got back. They're like the Amish. Yeah, well, they sh- yeah they shunned her. But once these two guys came out and um, said that they did not uh, that they lied uh, to uh, to get fa- favor with the government, then um, they got behind her. And then finally, in 1977. President Ford, on his last day in office, um, uh, gave her, uh, gave uh, Tagora a full pardon and restored her citizenship. Was she still alive by then? Huh? Was she alive? Yeah, she was still alive. She died at age of ninety. Um, Damn. In Chicago, uh, age of ninety in Chicago of natural causes. 
on January 15, 2006, right before she died, the year she died, the World War II Veterans Committee, who sponsors a Memorial Day parade in Washington, D.C., and the National World War II Monument, um, uh, gave her a citation for her spirit, love of country, and example of courage that she had uh, given to her fellow Americans. Um, and she it was there... Um, called the Edward Hurley Citizenship Award. And uh, she, to grace, said that was the most memorable day of her life. So um, she really got screwed. I'd have told him, you know what, you a day late and a dollar short and you can kiss it, my ass. Well, six years in prison and not a nary or one of you came forward to help me. There's a, if you go on YouTube, you can see an interview of her on um, six, 60 Minutes. Did you see the interview with Moe Safer? And um, they asked her. They asked her that question. They asked her that why she was not bitter, and she said that she wasn't bitter, but she was disappointed uh, that the truth didn't, you know, it was never told. And she, uh, you know, she said basically, you know, a lot of bad, you know, things happen. Bad things happen to people, good people, all the time. So she kind of took a. Well, she didn't get the. She did not get the bomb dropped on the head. No, she didn't. Like she a lot lived. Of I mean, Japanese did. Well, but she was there during the. You know the firebombing of Tokyo. So I mean, she was yeah. at risk, but she, you know, she um, she did her best to aid and comfort uh, the POWs there in in Japan where she would where she was there, and um, you know she refused to denounce her U.S. citizenship, but unfortunately, um, and Axis Sally was in Dresden. I wonder if she was there when we was fire. We did a lot of firebombing. We did. We, we did. did a lot of firebombing. So anyway, that's the story of Tokyo Rose and uh, Axis Sally and Lord Haha. So, do you guys have any final comments? Well, Colonel. Mom was just an asshole. He, he had a comment. <laughs> Brandy? Uh, no, no further comments. Do you feel compelled to uh, say anything positive about Axis Sally? She was a cookie. She would be a Horeo. <laughs> uh, no, I don't. Ooh, I all right. Ahorio. Thank, thank you all for joining us again. And I promise next time we'll have some more Next stories. time we're going to be – can we do more dead bodies? Yeah, so we're going to do some dead I bodies. I like to do the dead yeah, bodies. Yeah, Ed Ging was very popular. Thank you for all of you listening to the Ed Ging podcast. We'll get some more gory stuff in here for you shortly. But this, but, is, a, this is important stuff to know. It is. Because so, Tokyo Rose has been slandered. It's just... Yes, she was... It's not fair. It's not fair. Okay, thank you all for listening, and we will see you again real soon. Say goodbye. Bye. Good day, listeners. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most. But if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. 
Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com. <laughs>